Cheers. There we go. Tim. Ben. Good to see you. Good to see you as well, man. How are you doing, Tim? I am doing well, as as well as anybody can do in this whole pandemic fiasco. Well, we are on a certain part of it now. It's a different part with you being, you know, vaccinated. I am too. Right. We're in a different place, but it's still, it's gotten better, I think, because of that. And the weather, the season, yeah. you know, in our fields, end of a school year kind of brings a feeling to you where you're like, there's a new thing coming. Right. Summertime. So, yeah, yeah, that's. What's it like, Ben, like for high school, high well, school the, students? For those who don't know, you, you know, you teach high school English. So. Yeah, so I, I teach high school at uh, Argo, and um, at the beginning of the year, we just had everybody pretty much remote. Uh, and so everything was remote. We were even teaching from from our homes, and, uh, you know, basically the school was, was locked out of anybody. Um, and during that time, it was it was okay, you know, uh, teaching remotely, uh, trying to get the information across to kids. But it's it's clearly so difficult, you know, because it, it, this this whole pandemic thing really made it obvious um, how much kids need to be away from their own home and uh, you know be in the in the company of their peers and just doing the things that they enjoy doing but also getting some one-on-one instruction from teachers you know and and just having to do things through zoom calls or remind text and you know using things like canvas and onenote these are nice tools and all but man it's no substitute for for just sitting next to a kid and looking them in the eyes and saying you know you need to do this this way, or this is how you fix this, or whatever. That was, mm-hmm. that's been the biggest, one of the biggest adjustments for for me at least. Mm-hmm. That's uh, that's a hard place to be. I I, I relate differently. I, it's not as many hours as you as far as an interaction with Zoom, but I teach as well, and I get the whole Zoom thing just doesn't work. Like you said, it's a great tool. Yeah, it works really well when you need it to say just for certain things, maybe a meeting or something. Even then, it's nice to have meetings in person, but right. just little things that helps. It's nice to have that as a, a, you know, an outlet, but to teach full classes for a whole semester, a whole year, right? the kids are losing a lot of it. You are too. Like, you're at the, you know, a part of your career where you might not need as much practice, but like someone like me at the beginning of teaching, it's nice to have that practice, to be in, right. in class and learn the do's and don'ts and honing in on, on your abilities and how to be a better instructor. So to have that removed, it's been really difficult. You know, yeah. my this is my third year, so it's been difficult dealing with that. You know? Well, first semester there was uh we had at least one student teacher in our department and this semester we have at least one. There might be a second one, but uh but um you know, I can't imagine student teaching in mm-hmm. the, in this situation. Mm-hmm. You know, where where it's so important that you actually work with kids in the in the same room and have to explain things and uh, even you know dealing with discipline. You know, the dis- the discipline issues are completely different with Zoom at the high school level compared to uh, you know in a regular school year. In a regular school year. Uh, one of the first things I noticed actually at the start of this school year is uh, just how easy it is for me to get information across to students because you don't have kids in a classroom kind of feeding off of each other for being goofy. Mm-hmm. Uh, that would happen, you know, in any class, regardless of the year, regardless of the ability level. There's always going to be a little bit of something going on in the in the classroom. And like I say, they're feeding off of each other. But with Zoom, 
Everybody's just looking at a computer, so you don't really have that. So now the discipline issues become something more like kids will always fix the camera up at the ceiling, right? Or they, they'll just keep the camera off entirely, or they'll they'll enter class, fix it on the corner, and then they go off and they're playing, you know, Call of Duty or whatever in the next room. So there's always uh, those little workarounds that they find and... There's not much you could do about it. No. I know we were told, like, you can't recommend or you can't require the video to be on um, just for a lot of different reasons. So, hmm. okay. Yeah. So I don't know how it was with you, but that's what we were told. So. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it's been a weird one. I'm glad to be on the the back nine of it, and uh, I hope uh, things can resume to some sense of normalcy by August, yeah. especially for education. Yep. For college, too, it's a... It's it's hard because it's a lot of money and it's a lot of time and it's something they're choosing to do. It's not rec- recommended or required by the state, you know. Right. So to kind of, you know, throw a freshman college student into an online only experience when they were paying for the full, you know, in person dorms, all those things. Yeah. Then between stuff, the the parties, the study, you know, the study groups, everything that comes along with going to college. Right. And, and high school, too. I mean, say what you will. I mean, you're the educator in high school, but it's fun to be goofy in class. And oh, sure. To have right. the camaraderie, to make friends, to have those memories. Right. You know, that's what I think about. <laughs> right. And, well, and, and as, a, as a teacher who, you know, when I, when I first started teaching, I remember my, my uh, uh, threshold for, you know, tomfoolery was, was pretty low. Uh, and then as the years go on, and especially once you have your own kids, you know, and you start seeing what they're like at home and what works and what doesn't work at home, you suddenly get a little bit of an appreciation for just laying back on certain things because kids are just going to be kids. I mean, we've all been 16 and goofy or hormony or whatever. Uh, so this, um, uh, it's been a little bit of an adjustment, but it's, it, it would be nice to just get back to something Mm -hmm. a little bit normal. So I'm looking forward to that in the fall. It should be, I'm hoping it'll be. I think it will be. We may have to wear face masks, but that's. Something's going to happen. Enough's enough as far as the psychological part of it. I think everyone's like, we need to just, if it's face masks, social distance, we're not touching each other anymore, whatever it takes, let's get back to something in person. One thing that's been kind of cool though is uh, the number of students that I've seen this year who uh, really thrive in this whole situation with Zoom classes and online classes, you know, because you have you have some kids who uh, maybe they didn't really have the opportunity to show this, but now it's like you give them some assignments to do and they're just kind of like, give me the time to do it. Let me know when it's due. I will get it done perfectly fine. Mm-hmm. You know, and some kids are just really digging that. And I know if uh, if I had been... Uh, a high school student during all of this, I probably would have been more along those lines. I would have been like, you know, um, just, you know, don't, don't make me sit through lectures or, or, you know, goofy group work and all that stuff. Just tell me what I got to do. I will make sure it's done Mm -hmm. and, you know, just kind of leave it at that. So it works well for some kids, but not everybody. Kids, but certainly not everybody. And I can't imagine, I mean, I love my family and all, but if I was in there twenty four seven around these people constantly, I mean, I'd be going nuts. And so mm-hmm. I can just, I, I can't imagine what some of the kids are going through around really, you know, crowded households mm-hmm. or goofy families and dysfunctional situations. It's, it's got to be terrible. 
and uh, I feel bad for those kids. Sometimes it's a scapegoat. Like, they get to go to high school. They get to, to get away from... Yeah. The house could be nice, but maybe they just want to be away from it. Like, parents, siblings, I don't know, just changes it up. It's a whole process. It takes a six, seven, eight hours of your day. Right. You know, it's nice to have that. It's what makes kids like summertime so much to, like, contrast that and then go back. Everyone loves going back to school yeah. in the fall. It's, like, part of it, you know? Yeah. I, you know, how did we how did we come to be friends? Because you, you were never my English teacher, and I always no. forget how we ended up just kind of talking over the years. That's a, that's a great question. So uh, I know I've told you this before, but I remember you, um, I think it must have been your senior year, because I remember you had Dr. Hickman for mm-hmm. your English teacher, mm-hmm. and her classroom's right across from mine. And mm-hmm. so I would always stand outside my classroom door during passing periods, and I remember you, uh, you had the, the head of hair, uh, I think you may have had the mustache at the I time. I had a beard. Kid. You had the beard. It wasn't as full. Okay. But I had you a had beard. that. <laughs> and I remember you had like this uh, almost like a Where's Waldo striped shirt. Uh, and you would walk out of her room and you'd look at me like you've known me your whole life. Hey. And you just kind of give me a, a wave and I'd be like, hey. And then that was it. And you would just walk <laughs> past. And every day it was like that, just saying, hey. Um, and that was, I didn't even know your name. I just knew that was the dude who comes out of Hickman's class. And, um, and then somewhere around that's funny maybe 2014 or 2015 um through facebook i think you may have contacted me because i was part of the faculty band mm. and i think you were just starting to do some of the recording downstairs mm. and you wanted to know if the faculty band would be interested in recording a song yeah. for you but we weren't nearly as polished, and we didn't have our, our act together to be able to do that. And so I remember saying, you know, maybe next year. But at that point, that's when you invited me to, to that DZ Fest, maybe in 2015. Yeah. And so that's when I started, you know, seeing what you're doing over here. And uh, I was smitten with it. I think it's a pretty, pretty cool scene that you got going here. So ever since then, I've been a hanger on. Yeah, I appreciate that. And yeah, you've you've come to like all the DZ Fest since then and yeah, some shows, time. intimate evenings, you've made posters, you've sold artwork. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're you brought artwork. Can I we have... talk about these real quick? Yeah. You want to talk about each piece? Yeah. So uh the smaller one over here, I think I entitled it Mesmeria. And um it was it was just kind of a a, a change in some of the, in, in my approach to doing a, an, an abstract portrait, um, the, uh, the way I would normally do a portrait is put up some, even if it's abstract, I would kind of begin with uh, a pencil outline and then just kind of take it from there. And this time I started with pen, put it in marker, made basic outlines. Uh, and then over a course of a couple of nights, I just started applying the paint uh, the acrylic to it, just kind of getting in my little swirls and colors and things that I do with, with my art. And so I just wanted to create an abstract face. Uh, it's really nice. That's thanks. really great up close. I know it's not as easy to see on camera, and you obviously can't see it with the audio, but it's really beautiful. Thank really you. nice detail. Thanks. I like eyes. Something about eyes. Mm-hmm. I kind of dig. And then the, uh, the middle one is uh, the queen of Instagram. Uh, I just kind of use that, that uh, uh, pose that many of the people on you know, social media do where they're mm-hmm. taking a selfie. And so they, they have that little, I forget what that thing is that's called on the back of your phone where you kind of put your finger in there. Mm-hmm. So you're kind of placing that. But then uh, just adding some 
just some colors, a little bit of psychedelic color to the whole thing mm. uh, and trying to establish a, a contrast between something kind of realistic with something obviously abstract, but then black and white versus color and just kind of working with some some opposites. Something in that one. something straightforward, simple, and, and ordinary with something a little chaotic, yeah. abstract. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, I so like my, that. My wife likes that one. And then this uh, last one over here is an oil painting. Uh, appropriately, I call this one uh, Girl with a Blue Eye. And it's just uh, a, a portrait of a girl that I uh, try to do in, in uh, softer, like, black, white, gray tones, but with a blue, um, you know, foundation to it. So you have blue background, blue with the eye. Blue kind of worked into the uh, the rest of it, but um, just something in blue. Mm-hmm. Another great painting. You're, you're, you're just, you're a talented artist. You know that? Thank you. How long have you been making art for? Uh, I first started, I'm told, when I was about in first grade, maybe a little bit younger than that. My parents told me that, uh, I used to sit on the living room floor by a little coffee table and I would just sit there watching the Flintstones on TV. And one day I went up to one of my parents and I said, could I have a piece of paper and a pencil? So they gave it to me and I sat down and as I was watching the Flintstones, I drew Fred Flintstone. And they were like, oh, that's really good. And I thought, you know, this is kind of easy. And so I just started drawing Flintstone characters and eventually going on to like Scooby-Doo and that Mm -hmm. type of stuff. And eventually I just started taking art classes in high school and college. It was always just kind of a fun hobby for me. Why not ever go further with it instead of going the path you chose with English educator Um, since you've been doing it for so long? I guess I liked the idea of this being something that I could just kind of uh, uh, lose myself in and Mm -hmm. keep it as one of those things that's just pure hobby, pure fun. You know, it's more of an identity type of thing for me there, Mm -hmm. Uh, separate from, you know, all the different hats we have to wear, right? You got to be a teacher, you got to wear your teacher hat, your husband hat, your father, you got to wear all these other hats. But the artist hat for me is one that's just kind of off on the side and I just kind of do that for my own enjoyment and that's great. Sanity. I That's guess. a great hobby. Great form of expression, and you've clearly honed in. I mean, about what fifty or so years you've been doing something like this. Yeah, yeah. I'm fifty five, so probably about a good a good fifty years uh, that I've been part that that art has been part of of my life. Now, I didn't do a lot of art for like a long time, and actually, this is this is kind of interesting. I suppose to me, maybe not to you folks, but to me. <laughs> um, when I was 19 <clears throat> and I had failed out of Lewis University my first semester, and so then I transferred to St. Xavier and I had my first semester success uh, over there, something about an art class that I took that semester at St. Xavier uh, turned me on to the idea of keeping a journal. And so the August of 1985, Right when I was, I was starting my, my sophomore year of college, I started keeping a journal, just a regular notebook. And uh, I've, I've kept that journal for 34, 35 years, whatever. Uh, always different notebooks. I mean, I have a stack of notebooks at home that's, that's enormous, just keeping, you know, from all the years. Mm-hmm. Uh, and in the process of doing all of that, 
Um, I, I guess I, uh, uh, you know, I, I detail things about like when I first got married and when I started the, uh, my career. And right now as I'm rereading parts of it, uh, right around 89, 90, when I first started teaching, uh, I, I could see that I had a, just a lot of creativity that was kind of simmering, but I couldn't do anything with it because I had to worry about this career. Right? I had to finish up college. I had to get a job. I had to start designing lessons and all this stuff. And so I guess a lot of my creativity or that creative impulse got sort of uh, sublimated, I guess, into lesson plans, teaching. Uh, when I first started at Argo, I was coaching football and baseball, so trying to you know do things with, with teams, okay, and eventually like Scholastic Bowl, just always trying to do something uh, relatively creative with these. Uh, and it wasn't until, I don't know, maybe um, about five years ago, four or five years ago, that I started getting into art, art all over again. Mm. So uh, when I first contacted you. Yeah. So right around the time that we we started contacting, you asked me, and actually you you kind of lit the fire for me because you, you asked me that one year if I could design a, uh, a, a poster for uh, one of the DZ intimate evenings. Yeah. And uh, I was like... Yeah, I could do that. And so I just had a blast. I think I told you, you know, give me a few months to do this. I think I knocked it out in a couple of weeks because mm -hmm. I was just so into it. And this was, it was so much fun to finally get back into holding some materials and creating something and just being goofy with it. Uh, that that kind of lit the fire for me and I started getting back into art. So it's been, it's been a nice, you know, four or five years and uh, I'm, I'm, I'm thinking, you know, in a few more years when I retire, there's my hobby right there. It's yeah. just waiting for me. I could totally see it. And I honestly, I could that. see you like selling artwork, like in commissions, to be mm. honest, on through Instagram or Etsy or your own website. I could I could see that definitely. Doing mm. freelance work for yeah. for fun, for free, for money, whatever works. I mean, yeah. you're retired, you kind of can choose that path easily. Yeah. Creativity is fun. It really is. This, this enterprise right here is your, cre your creativity right here. And this is, you know, an, another way to kind of get ideas out to the masses mm -hmm. uh, in some way. Um, what led you to start this? This podcast? Yeah. Um, people like you, people that I've met over the last, you know, 11 years of DZ Records, 10 years of DZ Fest, and 16 years of hanging out in a, a clubhouse called the DZ that yeah. kind of sparked all this. And I met a lot of people, thousands and thousands and thousands of people over the years from bands to artists to friends to family to acquaintances, um, highs and lows, just every type of person. Found out, I found out how fascinating everyone really is and how much everyone really wants the same thing. And we're a lot more similar than we think. More similarities and differences. Mm -hmm. And I wanted the world and other people to hear those things and hear the different paths people have, you know, chosen, uh, the good, the bad, and the ugly, mm -hmm. uh, creative things, uh, you know, comics, actors, scientists, people who can inform others, people I found interesting, uh, maybe they're amazing and talented, but, you know, the world hasn't given them a, a chance, and I'm trying to. I've always been one to try to facilitate uh, potential and creativity from the fest to recording to shows to a podcast to albums my own you know music right things like that so yeah but i, I think it just took a while it took like uh, many years to look back and be like you know what um 
to know the right people to have on and to reach out to people to have people, you know, take me seriously enough to be like, yeah, I'll come on your show, you know, things like that. And having the right gear, the know-how, and a more of a foundation to just try something without any, you know, no sponsors, no income from this, just doing it for right. fun and a passion project. That's an interesting point. At, w- at what point in the development of Everything DZ did you notice that people are starting to take this seriously? I'm mm-hmm. no longer X, whatever you felt mm-hmm. that, you know, your your initial incarnation mm-hmm. was. And now I'm viewed seriously as, you know, musician or, or uh, promoter or, you know, all the different hats that you have to wear. So, like, at what point did you notice that? Um, well, it depends because some people said good things and took it seriously at an earlier time, depending mm-hmm. on who they were. Usually it was um, younger people. Uh, adults took a lot longer. Mm. Parents and family took very long. Mm. That probably took until I started teaching in college for them to be like, oh, okay, I guess this, this <laughs> is something more than we thought. I'd right. say around 2017, 18 okay. is when a lot of people started being more like polite about it and not seeing it as some weird hippy-dippy, right. you know, thing, you know. Right. Yeah, it's hard. It's it's usually people, people who haven't been to something like DZ Fest or anything evening that have more to negative things to say and then if you have been people don't talk like that anymore right yeah right yeah, it's been a long journey and many different you know iterations of things happening goods and good bad you know, everything and but i don't know i don't know what it is <laughs> well i'll tell you what the the news of the day is that dz fest is going on this year in september <laughs> what, what are the dates again september 25th and 26th oh yeah. I got it on my calendar already, so I'm looking <laughs> forward to it. I've been pushing for three days, but everyone's just like, huh? And I'm like, no, why not? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I just, I just throw it out there to see what sticks. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I'm excited for it. It's been a – it was nice to have a free summer with no obligations, but it was – I would rather have done it and continue to do it. And it's weird to have it in September, but, you know, it won't be as hot. It'll be dark earlier so uh more night performances which is kind of nice right gives me four months to prep gives you know four months for the world to kind of come back to some sense of normalcy right yeah i'm excited for all the artists to you know show artwork and you know different setup this year with um just more ideas as far as like the the layout of the yard and kind of having more things in the yard i want to have more artwork everywhere kind of okay cover it make it look like a I don't know, like something you've never seen before, I guess. Cool. As if it maybe it might, it already might be something that, you know, you'd never seen before. But. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, maybe new artwork on the background of the stages, things like that. New bands too, like um, all the bands that are performing will be bands I've never played before. Really? Yeah. Okay. Bands. That's the goal. Now, are these are these bands that have reached out to you with interest or have you sought them and... and- both, them. Okay. both, definitely both. Um, PZ Fest is always both. There's a lot of bands that reach out. Like, I'd say most bands that come through ask about it, or you know, a lot of people reach out all the time, and which has been great. A, a crazy thing because I, I remember pouring over emails and begging anybody, yeah. will someone play? <laughs> right, right. So it's been nice to be able to get more submissions and sift through it, and it's cool. It's nice to see that. It's kind of surreal, but. 
it is what it is. One of the things I've noticed uh, in in following you and and the the doings of of uh, the DZ these past years, I've noticed that you you obviously put in a lot of planning and uh, uh, attention and effort, especially everything just kind of you know comes to a head on that weekend, and then usually the following week you you hit the road for like a, a good amount of time and you just kind of get out and, mm-hmm. and give yourself a nice little break. But mm-hmm. that's in the middle of the summer. So if mm-hmm. you're doing this at the end of September, will you still have that option? No, or? I, I, I'll be teaching. It'll be a hard one. That's what kind of what I thought. It's going to be a really challenging thing to set up for. I'll probably end up building the stages in August, kind of <laughs> okay. way ahead of time, and which is obnoxious because then my yard has these big, massive stages for six weeks, seven weeks, but it is what it is. Right. But uh, I'll probably start setting up slowly over time and taking my time with it. And I will not be able to go away, you know, on vacation or disappear. Just have to wait until like Christmas holiday <laughs> yeah. or something, yeah. right? To, Honestly, because we do have a good, you know, classic college Christmas break, which is always five weeks. It's, nice. So I will definitely disappear then. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's going to be a hard one, but um, I'm up for it. I'm I'm ready. I've been trying to be as healthy as possible so I could face it head on because it's a very stressful thing, very physically and I can imagine. emotionally demanding. And I've seen you running around that backyard and, and in and out of the house and trying to cover a million different things. And yeah. anytime a question comes up, people are like, well, get Ben. Where's Ben? Because <laughs> you, know, you are the brain trust on this. So it's yeah. it's been uh, it's been fun to watch this over the years. It's been wild. <laughs> <laughs> I bet. It's been cool to have people like yourself, people from many different backgrounds, um, many different ethnicities, ages, you know, places, just anybody just coming through. It has nothing to do with – that's been the best part about like, creativity learning. It has nothing to do with, you know, you need to be this obscure artist. You need to like look a certain way, make a certain amount of money. It, right. It has everything to do with the, you know, human spirit of expression. Again, right. the potential of what you want to do, how you want to express yourself, you know, what what makes you who you are. You know, the things you're comprised of, it should have nothing to do with your income, your skin color, your gender, your age. It has everything everything to do with just being a person and and expressing yourself. And that's something a lot of adults lose sight of. I'm sure you're more aware of it than I am. They just get older. They detach from that. They say, it's not for me. It can't be. I have a mortgage and insurance and I have to take my kid to the doctor and school plays. I, I, I can't focus on that anymore. So it's really great that you keep up with it as a hobby, honestly. Yeah, and I and I suppose you know when you when you put it that way, um, you know I have my wife and my and my sons to thank for my being able to do that. I mean that's that's a, a privilege to be able to, you know, devote my time to creating art as opposed to working a second job or you know doing so many things that other people have to do, especially at this time. Um, so fortunately my wife is very tolerant of all the stuff that I have around the 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 downstairs with you know just painting stacked up and drawings all over and some of the stuff is half done and some of the shit is just like what is that why 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 do you even have that hanging up um you know and then my sons come in every so often uh when i'm working on something so they give me their their input and mm-hmm. I, and it's interesting to always have you know when i when i when i create something i don't know how other artists do it but when i create something i'm just kind of working on what i see uh and i'm not necessarily thinking in terms of okay i want the viewer to get this X out of it. You know, I, it's it, that whole art interaction and interplay, I suppose, between artist work and audience, whoever that audience might be, uh, is, is, is kind of a fascinating dynamic. And so when my sons come in, they'll look at something and they'll, 
I don't know, they'll they'll look at uh, Queen of Instagram and be something like, uh, I don't know, does that mean confusion? Because I see confusion in that. And so then, uh, you know, and that may not necessarily be the thing that I was thinking as I was doing that, but it's, it's, it's awesome to always hear what other people get out of something that you've either drawn, painted, uh, I'm sure as a, as a, uh, songwriter, right? Same thing. You know, you, you, you create mood, mm-hmm. you, you, you create soundscapes and, and things through, uh, through the lyrics and through the sounds that you have, uh, and then to have people react to it, it could be totally off the mark from what your intent was, but it doesn't make it any less valid. Mm-hmm. And that, that type of dialogue is, is so much fun, mm-hmm. I find. Yeah, no, that's been a really interesting thing about playing in bands for all these years and, and making music, hearing people's interpretation of it, what they get out of it. Um, for my own music, it's usually something that isn't really hitting the mark. Most people don't fully know, but with other people's music, it's it's been uh, interesting to see because I'm not fully involved in the songwriting process, just like putting together the composition of the music, playing yeah. bass or guitar, yeah. but not actually writing the lyrics. So mm-hmm. it's nice to hear what other people say. I could detach and have a little bit more of an objective thought on it but uh yeah i love i love every process of it from writing a song you know composing things putting it together orchestrating it recording it mixing it engineering it mastering it, putting it out there having shows seeing a part of it um come to fruition through live sound and putting putting on that production the video kind of just all of it it's really fun to be a part of it and have it's been great a great pleasure to learn how to do all of that myself you know i'll bet and yeah it's yeah, I don't know. It's been interesting to the places it brings you when you start saying yes to everything. You know, many times I was asked if I could do something, and in my head I'm like, I don't even know what that is, but I just say yes. <laughs> it's like I, I can't help. It just comes out to say yes, I could do that. Yes, I could right. do that. Right. You know, like the thing with Argo is just like, yeah, I could do that. Why not? Why not? You know, and, let's, and uh, plunge yourself in, and let's yeah. see what. The, but you know what? You have a creative spirit, and I would imagine that people who are genuinely creative. Or have tapped into that and, and can kind of work their creativity, uh, they're a little bit more comfortable with just mm-hmm. being thrust into a situation mm-hmm. and I'll wing it and kind of, you know, I'll, I'll figure my way through this. Well, I always go to the place where if someone else has done it, like, why can't I? Sure. If I can imagine it, you know, I can build it. If I could conjure up the concept, I could execute it. Like, yeah. why not? Yeah. People have been doing it for thousands of years. What makes them better or, you know, or different from I? This may seem like an obvious question, um, but since you are uh, a musician who is also a music producer, something that a lot of musicians aren't, right? They mm-hmm. they just perform it, or maybe they they mix it, or whatever. But but you you see both sides of the of the council. Mm-hmm. Um, for you right now in in life, which is more fulfilling? So playing music, kind of like how making artwork, yeah. It's just something you do as a hobby and because you can detach it from, um, you know, monetization, from money, you can, it's pure. It has that pure spark. You do it when you do it. You don't when you don't. And no one else has a say on it. No mm-hmm. control. Mm-hmm. So playing music is like, like that for me. That's why I love to still do it. I play in three bands currently and have a couple other concepts and, and projects I do. But here and there, like Afterglows, Wilshire, things like that. Yeah. And that's like the best part of life. Just it's it's off to the side. No one has a say in it. I don't worry about the downloads. I don't worry about who's going to pay for what. I don't worry about when we're going to play next. Yeah. Um, and then the music 
production part of it, the recording, the engineering, the videos, that is equally gratifying, but because it's attached to, you know, a career, money, teaching, a festival, all that, it's um, it's a little bit of both. It's still like a creative outlet because everything's always changing. There's always different bands and different ways sure. to accomplish something, and it's a lot more technical. But uh, because it has like money or, or popularity or something attached to it, mm-hmm. it has a slightly different meaning. But it's close. Honestly, I've found a way to hone in to keep them pretty similar as far as pleasure. Good. Just one has a little bit more of something attached to it, and the other one is just completely free. Yeah. So if I had to pick one, it would be music for okay. sure. But um. I've learned how to like disassociate them and put them together. When I'm playing music, I don't overanalyze what I'm doing. I get lost in it. Just like when I listen to music now, I don't sit there wondering what kind of kick drum microphone there is. Okay. What kind of microphones on the vocals? What kind of preamp? How is it product? I can. I can instantly switch to it. But I try to just stay like as a music listener, as a music lover, what brought me there to begin with. So wait, if you're listening to something that has been recorded, let's just say something on the radio, mm-hmm. can you just from listening to it determine certain things like what kind of microphone they use? Yeah, so there's like three places my mind will go if I choose to. I can go between them. Now, this is taking a lot of practice. This is not something that happened overnight. But it seems like I I can go to the production side of it. Mm -hmm. I can go to the music side of it, like the time signature, the key signature, what notes are they playing? Are they going one, four, or five? Are they doing the one, the two, the six? Are they staying on the leading tone, tonic note, all that stuff? So I can go to the composition part of it. Or can just go to the music listener, a consumer who just sits there and takes it in for what yeah. it is, the emotions you get from it, uh, things you can extrapolate that bring you to a certain place, a certain memory. Yeah. And uh, so I yeah, kind of go between all of it, you know? Okay. Yeah. Because I remember a conversation we had, and it may have actually been uh, the night that you and I ran into each other at a Them Dead Poets mm. show. Oh, man. I forget where this was. In the city? It, no, no, no. It was it was in uh, one of the yes. western suburbs. Yes, I do remember that. I forget that. Is that a bar in the western yeah, suburbs? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was real tough parking because mm-hmm. there was like a, a circular parking thing around it. Mm-hmm. Anyways, uh, I remember we had a conversation that night, and I was asking you, because uh, I, I when I play music, I tend to play bass, and I was asking about the, uh, the, the way that you would – record somebody like can somebody come up and say i want my bass to growl mm-hmm. in the mix mm-hmm. and then you would kind of know what mm-hmm. that means to mm-hmm. be able to make whatever adjustments to to make it growl as opposed to just uh shimmer uh, yeah thick, just plucky, any, right dry it's got a real sounding, round sound round, as opposed to a punch fat all of it right yeah. yeah that that i find fascinating well, that just takes a lot of time, and it helps to be a musician. Like, I, I play bass, and I play guitar, so I understand what that means to want to do that as a musician, then I understand how to achieve that as an engineer and, you know, how to do both. Yeah. Yeah, it's... But that's just years. I've been making weird sounds and, you know, experimenting with effects pedals, foot pedals, um, plugins in the software. I've been, you know, for 15 years, so sure. you just start learning. And it's not just how long you've been doing it for, it's what you put in in that time frame. So I put a lot of research into it, understanding how those effects pedals work, how they're hmm. built, the circuitry behind it, like just trying to understand everything about it. But that's like, yeah. you know, the nerd in me just wants to know how to do everything. How well, I was going to say, you're, you're all about constructing things too. Yeah. And so you could dis- disassemble something just to kind of see how it works. So that's, yeah. that's, uh, that's awesome. But it doesn't take away from the magic of it. Like knowing everything it takes to make these colors, how like the different thickness of the paint 
brush, you know, um, hair or whatever it is you want to call it. Right. Um, the different textures of a, a paper versus a canvas versus a piece of wood. It's good to know all that stuff so you can use them as tools to accomplish the goal. Right. It doesn't take away from your expression and what you're doing on these things, you know. Right. That's a misconception about, you know, art school or learning about art is, you know, they don't, you know, I don't want to learn how that works. Or I don't want to learn music theory because it'll take away from how I play music. It's like, not really. Right. You learn how to drive a car, and now when you drive a car, you're thinking like, 10 and 2, I have to accelerate like this, I have to think that, I need to make sure I'm 500 feet away before I hit the, you know, the right. turning signal. Like, no. Once you learn it, it becomes natural. Right. It's like it, breathing, and then you could just... Yeah. You just learn. It's it's good to learn the fundamentals. You could properly attack it, you know, and you could properly use it and um, know when you should and shouldn't do something, and then after a while, all that goes away. All that learning sure. goes away. I mean, it's still there, but it becomes just a reaction. Right. And you could and you can invoke it when necessary. You could think, okay, th- this, you know, X works the way it does because, mm-hmm. and you could kind of fall back on whatever prior knowledge you had with it. Uh, while you were talking, I was reminded of the, uh, there's an ad on social media right now, and maybe you folks have seen it. <laughs> uh, but it's the... Um, it's a guy who is advertising something for uh, uh, the uh, some to play electric guitar, and uh, his his whole angle with the ad is uh, you don't have to learn music theory to be able to make killer guitar solos, and so he's you know explaining how you don't need to know all that stuff, and I, and as I'm looking at the the. Uh, the ad, I can't help thinking to myself, well, I suppose, you know, you can just kind of feel your way through it. But that takes years and years of playing, right? Mm-hmm. Once you know where you are on the fretboard, you you kind of have a sense. But I would imagine knowing the theory adds a whole different layer to how you can construct something mm-hmm. uh, because that's going to give you ideas on, on harmony, on timing, on uh, different ways – to tinker with all of that mm-hmm. stuff. Uh, so, you know, taking away any of the academic, uh, it isn't just all feel, obviously, but like you say, it isn't all just the book learning aspect of it either. It's mm-hmm. it's all of it together, it's digested, and then the artist somehow brings that out and creates something. Yeah, it's a balance. It's a, it's a, it's a really tedious balance, but I learned, I started playing guitar at 14, and I just taught myself, so I, you know, I never had proper training or anything. And then, about about nineteen years old, I took a music theory class at mm-hmm. the Marine Valley, and I took two or three three of them, and that helped a lot. It helped make sense of what I was doing, and I was able. I grew tremendously from that. It, mm-hmm. what I learned in the following two three years, might have taken me a decade, and I learned it in you know two three years, and I was able to attribute things to what I was doing. I was able to understand. Uh, key signatures a lot better and come up with, you know, alternate tunings for songs and make sense of it. The biggest thing is it helps with communication. Like if you're in a band with five people, four people, and everyone understands music theory, when you're coming up with ideas, you can just speak the language. Sure. It is a language. You know, I, I it's a language that I could speak and understand. I just don't, I wouldn't be able to write it really well. Like I only learned so much reading of music notes and notation but with what I do, I don't really need to. I don't, you know, compose music like that. I just come up with the music theory. I use music music theory to come up with the contract of the whole song okay. and, like, the tunings mm-hmm. and chord progressions and stuff. But as far as, you know... Ex- Writing a score. Score, yeah, I don't yeah, really, really, really do that, yeah. no. Um, yeah, so it's... That becomes more into, like, 
classical music and 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 performance and jazz where you're actually sheet reading you know yeah and uh it's just different it's just yeah. not what i was interested in i wanted to know just enough right to like extrapolate from it and do something with it but not i didn't feel like going that far into that world you know i just needed enough information so now if i'm talking with someone i can hold up a conversation with sure. it but i don't i have some friends that could just you know sight read everything fluently and i can't do that yeah and yeah, no need to now with my career i play in rock bands you know <laughs> I used to be able to read music. When I, I think when I, when I was in fourth grade, uh, that's when I started playing guitar. Uh, I had an acoustic. My parents got me an electric. Um, it was a Squire, I mm-hmm. think. And, uh, and so there was a Quinlan, Quinlan and Fabish music on 79th Street, real close to Western, like 79th and Western. I grew up in St. Thomas More Parish. So I was like 79th and Francisco. Mm. I went to St. Lawrence High School. Mm-hmm. But I was right there... Um, Maybe half a mile away from Quinlan and Fabish. That's and so, Chicago, right? Yeah. yeah. And so they had um, they had uh, guitar lessons. So I remember during fourth grade going for weekly guitar lessons where he showed me, you know, how to re- the, do the notes. I was reading notes. I was playing, you know, Turkey in the Straw quite quite well. What made uh, you want to do this? I, I wanted to learn guitar. Just naturally drawn yeah. to it. But then that lasted about a year. And then when I hit fifth grade, I think that's maybe around when Star Wars came out. Now suddenly I wasn't interested in guitar anymore. Now I was interested in Star Wars. <laughs> so I had this guitar sitting there and I had kind of a basic language of how to read notes on a staff and, and all this stuff. But that was lost very quickly. Um, but I always had my guitars. I always you know, I had an interest in playing something. And then when I got to high school... Uh, I, I was in a couple of small bands, uh, but they would have been more, uh, uh, like along the lines of like a garage band. And so you're just kind of sitting around, Hey, I'll play these three chords and I'll, and then I'll do this and I'll kind of keep timing. And so it was just very, very basic. Mm -hmm. There was, I don't think we even necessarily paid attention to a key that we were playing in. It was Mm -hmm. just, let's just do these three chords. Let's, let's do a cover of Louie Louie, Mm -hmm. you know, for 20 minutes. And then, (laughs) so that's the extent of, uh, my music playing back, back at that time. Did it, when did it, did it, uh, just kind of fade away with college? Yeah. In college, I had a couple of friends from high school that I still kept in touch with. And so we each had, uh, our acoustics. And so I think it was around 86 or 87 that we were the fireside chaps. And so we did all kinds <laughs> of uh, uh, goofy covers of, of uh, songs. You know, we were doing a lot of acoustic Pink Floyd and Zeppelin and that type of thing. But then we also had some originals that we did. And so we would record those. And that was kind of a, a staple of our Friday nights. We'd get together in uh, Kelly's uh, uh, basement, uh, you know, somebody brought the booze and we would sit there drinking and we would, you know, record music or whatever. Uh, and so that lasted, th- yeah, that was pretty much it for college. It lasted for maybe a year, year and a half. What, what college was this? Saint Xavier? I was at St. Xavier at that point. You said something about Lewis earlier. Yeah, I went to Lewis University for one semester. Uh, that was the fall of 84. That was right after I graduated. Um, at that point, I was going to be a psych major, 
And uh, I, I spent that semester, I had a lot of fun that semester. Uh, I was living in a dorm out at Lewis. I had a girlfriend, uh, water classes. I was just living, this was like the first time away from my parents, away from anything, right? Mm-hmm. No rules. And uh, so at the end of that semester, <clears throat> I, and I tell my students this, uh, at the end of that semester, I had uh, three Fs. I had an incomplete, and I had a B, my English class. Uh, and but but that was just humiliating to me. I that that is the worst. I I've never had grades that bad. I had never had grades that bad, and so I had to face my parents. Right, this was lost money. This was wasted time. It was a colossal mess. And this was the first big thing I ever did in my life that you know was like a major regret. So when I finished up that semester of my own accord, I told my parents, this is what happened. I completely fucked this up and I, uh, I'm just going to like withdraw from Lewis. And, uh, I, when I was going through my application process, I had also been, uh, accepted to St. Xavier. So at that point, that's when I contacted St. Xavier and transferred my one class over, uh, and essentially had to start from scratch my second uh, for in the spring of 85. Mm-hmm. Now, when you transferred over, did they, uh, the Fs, were they, they just all were incompletes when you transferred them or? Uh, yeah, nothing, nothing, none of that counted. So I had okay. to take those classes all over again okay. um, or take different ones, you mm-hmm. know, to, to fulfill because that was all gen eds. Yeah. And so that's kind of how I, how I started at college. But then, uh, you know, at St. Xavier, I, I started resuming art classes mm-hmm. uh, as my electives. Uh, that was a chance where I could now get into some oil painting. Um, and so there were, there were a whole bunch of different things that I was doing through my electives while I was now studying for English. And uh, then I had, you know, these buddies who were from high school, but then we were um, we were also just kind of doing the fireside chap things and, mm-hmm. and just kind of jamming on a Friday night. That brings me back to my early college years of Friday night, Getting off, giving off, getting off work at UPS, flying home, packing up my uh, car with my amp, guitar pedals, and guitar. You know, picking up Charlie from Fasano's Pizza. Good. Driving to Vinny's, setting up the whole band practice. Everyone <laughs> showing up, trying to have band practice, but you know, Vinny invited too many people over to, <laughs> to hang out, and I was trying to have band practice for you know Wilshire, and it just was always a mess. Yeah. And yeah, that brings me back to that, just like. Friday night band practice in a friend's basement, just not really getting enough done, getting something done, you know, just goofing around. It wasn't until we started having him here that it got more, because I wouldn't do that. I wouldn't invite people. Over. I kept right. it just banned. I was right. trying to take it more right. seriously. So you and Vinny were the first to mm-hmm. kind of institute uh, Wilshire? Yeah. Oh it was God. us, and then my friend Brendan came along, and then we had a Dill and Steven, and then, then we kind of stopped doing stuff for yeah. the last five years. Yeah. Yeah. Six years. Yeah. Do you still consider that an active band or? Yes and no, only because there's no rules, there's no record labels, no money, there's nothing attached to it. So it's sure. like whenever I, I want to do it, you know, I'll do it. Until then, I'm doing other things. You're right, right. <laughs> you know, it doesn't really, that's the nice thing about it. Like we were mentioning earlier with art, it's like you can, pick, when you don't have anything attached to it, when it's not your job, you can pick it up, put it down whenever you need to. Yeah. It's its own thing. It's when you feel the calling, you go to it, and when you don't, you don't. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, that was that brings me back to that 
Well, we call the what chaps? The the fireside chaps. Fireside Where'd they come from? Well, the fireside chats. We were trying to be clever. Oh, okay. So we, uh, yeah, we had, uh, oh, you know what? I, had, I haven't thought of this in years. We had uh, an album cover. If we ever came out with an album, it was going to be, uh, there was a, there was a fireplace in Kelly's basement. So we stoked up a fire. We put each of our three acoustics and we had, uh, oh, what, what is that cap? It's almost like, uh, well, anyhow, we had caps. Each of us had caps that we put on top of the headstock mm-hmm. and we had scarves. And so we put scarves around the neck. And so that was a nice little picture of the Fireside <laughs> Chaps. That would be our debut album. I don't remember what the title was. Uh, but, you know, it's it's one of those early goofy things where, hey, when we become famous, we're going to do this. And you come up with goofy ideas and stage things mm-hmm. and uh Everyone's done that. Yeah. I did a lot of that, too. And then I realized, when I realized that uh, I don't think I'll ever be famous, nor do I want to be famous for music. Yeah. Just that you don't make the, when you when you make certain types of music, you realize early on, like, this is not popular music. Like, people are, some people will like it, but it's not going to be top 40, it's not going to be on the billboard, it's not going to have hundreds of millions of streams. It right. Just, just, it's not palatable like that. Right. You don't digest music like that so easily. But, um. I like it, though, because it's just a form of expression, and it's for me. It's for those around me who care, you know. That's the beauty of it. Yeah. There's no I, rules. Sometimes the the best art is that which comes from the artist, just purely from the artist, what, what he or she wants. Uh, and the audience will come to it. Mm-hmm. You know, if they're interested, they'll gravitate toward it, and uh, it, it finds its own audience. Mm-hmm. And you still play bass? Yeah, I mean, I, I still can. Uh, I don't really have, uh, I mean, I'm not part of a band or mm-hmm. anything. And, uh, you know, but uh, I, I still, as I listen to music and stuff, I always kind of gravitate toward the the, the lower end, uh, always trying to pick up on, you know, what technique is the is the bassist using? Does it sound like they're doing pick or finger style? Mm-hmm. You know, so I, I, I like to kind of focus on the, on the bottom end. Because mm-hmm. um, then when I started at Argo, uh, I taught with another English teacher um, who was long gone by the time you had gotten Argo. Uh, but he was just a few years older than me, and he uh, he was also into music, and he was playing guitar and so forth. And so the two of us got together with uh, another gentleman uh, who was a former Argonaut. And um, uh, and so then we had uh, a band for about two years, and we actually played shows. Mm. That's that cool. band was called the Martini Horse. I think I told you about that already. <laughs> yeah. The, the Martini Horse. That's so funny. we had. Was this in the nineties? This was early nineties. This was right around the time of the grunge era and mm. all of that. Because we were right in the in the thick of what we were doing when uh, Kurt Cobain died. So that's how I remember. That's that, funny that, that you time say period. that. Um, Mr. Berta, I think he played drums in your band for the for the faculty, faculty band. Talent yeah, show, Larry yeah. Berta. Yeah. Yeah. One time I was a uh, I was like a senior. I was walking around Argo. I had, you know, my, my, um, I was an aide pass for Mr. Malloy. So I kind of used that to just do whatever I wanted, sure. right? As one would. And I was wearing a Kurt Cobain, Kurt Cobain shirt where he's, uh, smoking a cigarette on the front, mm-hmm. which is a no no in high school. Right. And then on the back, it shows his Mustang, his Fender Mustang, and like all the parts of it. And, like, oh, yeah. A diagram. Yeah, yeah. And he was walking past me, and I thought, I was like, oh, no, because he was like a dean at the time. I was like, yeah. he's going to say something. <laughs> And he just smiles at me and looks at me, and then he turns around and sees the back part, and he's like, nice, Fender yeah, Mustang. Yeah. <laughs> and I was just like, oh, yeah, Fender Mustang, cool. And yeah, that was funny, though, that the dean 
just didn't say anything about the cigarette and said something about the guitar. Yeah. And I was like, that's yeah. cool. I like that. Larry Bird is a good guy. He uh, he was probably, in my opinion, one of the most misunderstood uh, people at Argo at that time because everybody associated him with being a total badass, right? A real hard ass because he was the dean and rarely smiled and he was usually, you know, uh, 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 the one that laid down the law on various things. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but once you got to know him, he was he was very good guy. Well, that, like, up until then, I was terrified of him. Sure. And then that happened. I was like, oh, he's not that bad. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. That's funny. That's It's such an interesting thing to get older now and be the age of the teachers I had and realize, like, they were just people just, like, living their life and every teacher is like that. It's It's been interesting to grow, to just grow sure. older and start to finally relate to, like, what the teachers had to deal with. They were just trying to keep the peace. And yeah. Be there for students, you know, um, having students of my own, I realized how many, how much weight, you know, of the world teachers take on through their students opening up to them, mm. telling them stuff they wouldn't tell their parents. Right. Uh, un, you know, unpaid, unqualified therapists you end up exactly. being. Exactly. And I start to, I'm starting to realize that now with my students and you have way more and you've been doing it a long time. So you hear stuff, you see, like you mentioned earlier, the dysfunctional homes and families. Start to hear that. You could just tell. You see it in a kid, something's not right, and then they might right. open up to you because you might ask them, like, why, what's going on? You're normally okay. Why, why are you doing poor right now? Like, what happened? And why is your grade failing? And they might tell you stuff, and you're like, oh, no. I, yeah. I can't believe I just heard that. Right. What do I do with that? Um, it's different with you because they're underage, so there's stuff that you might have to actually tell the state. Yeah, know? there are things that, that we would have to act on, but you're right. I mean, the and and what an honor too, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, for for us, uh, for anybody to be vulnerable enough in your presence to be able to say, this is what's wrong. Mm-hmm. This is what's happening. I mean, that alone uh, is, is one of the um, really more profound things with, with education. Is just being that per- you're essentially a stranger to the mm-hmm. kid, mm-hmm. Uh, and yet somehow you know in, in the course of uh, the the time that you work with that student, um, you hope that your content gets across to the to the student. Uh, but ultimately, do we remember the content? No, we remember the person, right? And the and and the way that person spoke to us, the way that teacher spoke to us, and, and or related events or whatever. We just remember the the person rather than the content. And that's been what over 30, 32 years of teaching. That's been uh, uh, an adjustment for me is recognizing the fact that in the grand scheme of things, the content of what I've been teaching has been nice, useful. Uh, you know, it's great to have a kid leave your class and say, hey, I enjoyed reading that or, or doing this assignment or this project because it was just kind of fun or whatever. Um, but ultimately, they don't remember a lot of the content, but they do remember how they were treated by you mm-hmm. or how well you listened to them or whatever. And so that's the, the part that's uh, that whole life-touching thing. Uh, it sounds very cliche, sounds very overdramatic or whatever, but there's some truth to that, man, and, and, and that's what I kind of like about it. And it's a very real thing. That's something I think oh, of. Yeah. I don't think of my grades or the assignments in high school. I think of the connections to the teachers. Right. You know, I had a few friends that I was close with, and then I was actually just friends with teachers because, to me, they had more experiences in life. They were more wise. They had better things to say, more mm-hmm. constructive things to say. 
when you took down the veil of their teaching hat and you got right. to just hang out with them one-on-one, you got to realize, like, how much fun they were or, like, they can, you know, fill in some wisdom, show you cool music you never would have heard of, tell you right. cool films you never would have saw, tell you about books that are too advanced or they wouldn't teach in high school, tell you about restaurants to go to. Sure. You know, just things like that. And uh, that's something I really enjoyed about high school was the teachers, not – it wasn't the students. It's never, students are everywhere. They're always the same. And I wasn't into what a lot of them were into, to be honest. So for me, it was the the impact of the, of the teachers and the faculty and – learning from them and no it's it's a profound thing it's for 32 years you know hundreds of students a year thousands overall yeah you're going to impact a lot of people and they when i look back and i don't think again about the assignments or the test i think about those moments with them yeah how did they treat me how were they were they nice were they not were they fun some of my teachers were teachers were so much fun and some i wish i never had them you know right right yeah there was some that um mr bonomo that I had a he, I only had him. He, he retired the, my freshman year. Okay, but uh, he was just so much fun, and you know, my friend Jake and I would always fall asleep in his English class, and he would always play pranks on us. Sure. Instead of giving us detentions, he would play pranks on us to keep us from falling asleep. Right. So he would like slam a book over our head and scare the crap out of us. And right. So it was like a fun way of being like. Detentions are probably not going to deter you, but maybe if I have fun with you showing that, like, I can be on your level as a person, then maybe you'll stop and pay attention. And it worked. Sure. It didn't take but, you know, a couple of weeks before we stopped doing that. Yeah. And you, and your motivation for it at the time probably wasn't, oh, I don't want to, uh, uh, you know, d- do this again because he, he might get mad this time. Mm-hmm. It was probably uh, something closer to, I don't know, uh, I don't want to disappoint him. Yeah, I you feel know, guilty. He's, he's, a, he's a good guy. He's, he's a nice he's person. me a break, and I don't want to do this to him again. That's exactly what it was. It's exactly what it was. And ultimately, a lot of instructors start to realize it's not you. It's probably something going on at home or in their life. Like, I just right. wasn't sleeping. Wasn't I had a weird high school experience because of life, and I just, like, it wasn't the people themselves. It was just what you're going through at home. Right. That's a lot of it. Now, with your students... Um, uh, you're what, 30, 31? I'm 31. So you're much closer to their, their age. Mm-hmm. Uh, do you feel that they see you as adult professor, mm-hmm. you know, what, or, or do they, or do some of them kind of see you as, uh, just a slightly older peer? It depends. Like, so I've had a couple that were like 25, 26, 27, okay. and they definitely saw me more as like a, you know, like a, you know, a more accomplished older peer. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, all the way down to 18, 19, and they're just, like, afraid of you. You're, you're like... You're just, still an authority figure. Yeah, you're some yeah, authority yeah. figure. You're, you know, a professor. And I try to break the ice the first day and just be like, call me Ben. That's all I am. Like, I'm nothing better than that. Just treat me like that. And, you know, I'll, I'll treat you with respect and keep it simple. But um, a lot of them, it's been pretty, pretty nice, and everyone's been really respectful. I've had very few incidents, maybe one. Yeah, all in the last three years. So, but it's been interesting. I enjoy being closer to age. I can relate on stuff. Right. But there's enough of a gap where you know they laugh at me, make fun of me because I don't know what they're talking about. Something in pop culture. Sure. Right. You know, I'm, you definitely get it. But I'm just like, they would think I would, but because I'm kind of an, like an old man, an old soul, I really don't know what they're talking about. And they're example. Like, How do you? They'll talk about like memes. And oh, okay. I, and I'm like, I don't look at memes. I don't know. I barely know what one is. And they're just like, what? What? And I'm just like, they're like, how is that possible? You're like so young. I'm like, I don't, I just, that's not how I've been. I just don't care about those right. things. I don't look into them. 
It doesn't, I don't find them that interesting personally. Yeah. I don't care what people do, but for me, I'm just like, I'd rather, you know, talk about music and right. film and travel and art and philosophy and creativity and human-related stuff. And the internet spectacles don't do that for me personally. Mm. They're too superficial, not enough depth to them uh, for me. Like I just, right. it's just not what I need. Right. You know, it's fun. I mean, I'm not gonna lie; they are fun. They're humorous, but I rather find humor in other things. Yeah. How about you? How do you feel about the internet and everything it has to offer? Being being your age, I mean, you grew up for many years without it. Oh yeah. Period. I, yeah. It was. It was. Uh, I mean, just the, the distraction aspect is is what drives me nuts. Mm-hmm. You know, for myself, not even so much for for the students, which is bad enough. But you know, when I think about uh, you know all the time that you spend scrolling, or all the time you spend you know dicking around with this and that on on either Facebook or Instagram or you know whatever social media platform you're using. Um, you know, there are days where I, or, or sometimes weekends where I just need to kind of force myself to not even go, just, I'm just going to charge my phone and, and leave it there and just mm-hmm. do other stuff. Uh, that's another drive for my art is a, a lot of times I use that to kind of force myself to get away from electronic things. You know, I just want to deal with, with purely organic material over here. Give me ink, paper, pen, uh, you know, whatever medium, um, and I just don't want to look at electronics for a while. Where Where do you think it comes from? Like uh, that form of expression, where you can take a utensil, a tool, take something from here, and just make it happen, make it appear. Like, where does it come from for you personally? You know, because it's definitely different for everyone. But like, where? I always wonder. It's different for everyone. Where does it come from? That spark. That ability to take information and mm-hmm. translate it, but it's always going to come out slightly distorted from your mind. Right. You know, where does it, what is it? What is it about us that makes us do it as, as humans and why? I know it's a, a big question, but I'm just, I always think about it. Well, I just wonder if <clears throat> at, at, at center, if reality is just way too overwhelming for us. And so we seek to adapt our lives, as we naturally always do, uh, to make things a little bit more comfortable or palatable for ourselves. So what drives creativity? What drives addiction? What drives, you know, so many different uh, factors that, are, that make us human uh, is... is I, I wonder if it if it has something to do with our perception of reality. And sometimes we feel, you know, maybe a person feels that reality is just too confining. And so we need balance. We need uh, uh, liberation to balance that confinement. Mm-hmm. And so liberation comes through what? Sleep. Like I say, addiction uh, uh, or substance use. Uh, you know, and then you get into more creative things. You know, I'm going to, I just want to do something to get me out of reality Mm -hmm. temporarily. Mm -hmm. Because we all know we're going to have to go back into that. Mm -hmm. We're still going to have to wake up on Monday morning and go to work or, you know, do whatever it is that we have to do. But at least this gives us a temporary reprieve and a little bit of, I don't know, satisfaction. Yeah. I don't know. There might not even there might not be a full answer. It might be um, an abstract thought, and that's what make it. That's might that might be what makes it what it is. The fact that there is no answer. Mm. It's uh, 
it's a part of balance, but it's a part of the uh, in-betweens of what makes us who we are. It's not actually possible to get to that point. You know, maybe uh, it infinitely grows and you don't actually get an answer out of it. Art, poetry, writing, books, film, novels, acting, writing, cooking, mm, sleep right. is a great one. Sleep is an art form, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Some practice it quite well. Yeah. Fashion, you know. <laughs> right. Even when we do it with our hair, cutting it, dyeing it, shaping it, we're always trying to express ourselves. Yeah. It's sad when people think that they don't have that ability to express yourself. Like you do, it just might not manifest in a traditional sense. It might not be that you're a painter or a poet or a writer or a musician or, you know, um, or a drawer or anything like that, making sculptures. But, you know, like I realized, like I don't, I'll never be a traditional trained, you know, tra- classically trained musician. Mm-hmm. I make more like sound art. I make more extract sounds. Abstract sounds with guitar, and I realize like that's my form of musicianship. It's not quite the same as you know classically trained musician. Like if someone said like, "Oh, you play music? Yeah, can you like pick up the guitar and play me something?" I'd be like, "I don't play covers. I only know the eleven-minute songs that I've wrote in alternate tunings. Like right. I, I, I couldn't play what you think. I, right. I don't play like that. That's not how I, how I, you know, get it out of my system. So there's many forms of it." I suggest to anybody, just try something, whatever it might be. It might be maybe you get into martial arts. Maybe you get into cooking. Maybe you get into yoga and exercise and whatever it is, just something. Maybe you just like to write in a journal. Maybe maybe like to just read books. I don't know. I mean, whatever you can do, again, to have that liberation of taking away from uh, reality. Right. Because reality is pretty – it could be boring. It could be harsh. It could be uh, very depressing. Yeah. Yeah, it's, um, yeah, I don't know why there's, like, that trope of, like, if you have to be, you know, miserable and sad to be an artist, it's like, no, no, you don't, you Yeah, I, 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 I wonder how much of that comes from, uh, like, writers of the beat generation, because mm. I get the, I get this, well, I couldn't even say from them. I was going to say beats because, uh, that whole post-World War II thing, I mean, you had the, the, um, the emergence of uh, with Kerouac and Ginsburg and maybe even the beatnik idea, right? You have to be this sloppy bohemian who you know has the goatee and and the the shades and and you're just you know playing bongos and uh, uh, living day to day. And there's some type of uh, you know f- part of that uh, to the to the image of the artist. Um. But that bohemianism actually goes back to like the late 19th century with uh, the poetry of Arthur Rimbaud, uh, you know, a guy who wrote, I think, most of his poetry. He was done writing poetry by the time he was 19, 18 or 19 years old. He had mm-hmm. written like all of this poetry, uh, uh, lived a wild lifestyle all over the place, um, experimenting, uh, putting his body through all kinds of experiments with substances to kind of you know, hone in on the poetic. Um, but I, I think, you know, to a degree, maybe stories of that, you know, contribute to this idea that you have to be a pained soul to mm-hmm. somehow, you know, uh, create art. On the fringe, you got to be oh, a little odd. Oh, yeah, you know? yeah. You know, you got, right, really odd. And, you know, maybe that is an offshoot of creativity in some way. But like you say, I mean, anybody can be creative, it, it, and you could be creative in your own creative way. Yeah. 
I mean, if someone took a look at you, especially like in your teaching attire, they would never expect that this type of thing comes out of someone like you. They would expect it from some like, you know, bohemian type, someone who's got, right. you know, different colors, maybe some tattoos. Long hair, maybe. Yeah. yeah all Speaks of that. a certain way, right. lives a cer- makes a certain amount of money, yeah. makes no money, things like that. Right. Yeah, it doesn't have to be that way. Right. It's, uh, it's sad. I wish more people were less afraid to, to do it. I realize that people want to do it. They just feel like ashamed or embarrassed or like nervous. They maybe made fun of people who expressed themselves a lot. So they were kind of like, they don't want to go back on that. Sure. That whole lifestyle, that notion, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. You, you, you play sports, right? Or you, you played a lot of sports? No. You teach, you taught them or you Uh, coached them. I, I, yeah, I, I coached, um, when they hired me at Argo, uh, they asked me if I would be willing to coach football and baseball, freshman, Hmm. uh, freshman levels for both. And I was just looking for a job. And so I was like, sure, I could coach football. I could coach baseball. And I I had never coached either one. I had never played mm-hmm. either See, one. When you said that, I was like, oh, he must have played. No. So it's strange when they hired you to do that and you, you never played. Yeah, I mean, I, I just told them, listen, I, I, I'll, I'll coach it. I'll be the best damn coach you ever, you ever had at the freshman level. Uh, so then I hit the books. I started, you know, the, the, uh, looking at some video, trying to figure out, like, what I would do. And, and not that I was – good at coaching it because I was still kind of learning both sports. Um, but after I spent about seven years coaching those things, uh, then once we had our own kids, you know, then I started coaching uh, Little League for my sons, for each of my sons, and uh, head coached, you know, one team and then assisted with most of the teams, kind of helped them out at home. And so it helped me on a, on a personal level, being mm-hmm. able to coach the kids. But I was never into sports it's interesting. Any of that. I always find it interesting when people coach who who didn't play. That's yeah. fascinating. How do you know, like, uh, how to relate to them on a fundamental level, like where what it's like to be in those shoes? I don't know that I ever really learned that uh, for for the years that I was coaching at Argo. Mm-hmm. Um, I just know that from a from a coaching side, <clears throat> um. Both sports just appeal to completely different aspects of the psyche. You know, I, I loved uh, baseball, coaching baseball for the strategy that was involved with it, all the little nuances of, you know, when to shade a certain way, when to, uh, uh, you know, drift a certain way, how to set up your infield, uh, everything that happens in communication between a pitcher and catcher or other players, you know, and then obviously once the ball is in play, everything that, that transpires. So there's a lot of cool little subtle things, silent things kind of going on with baseball that makes it, for me, just a really, really fun sport. Mm-hmm. Coaching football, on the other hand, was purely primal, guttural, right? You, you could you – could, uh, uh, you know, you could get into a kid's face and, and, you know, tell him what to do at a certain volume and with a certain thing in your voice that you knew would just, you know, ignite something so that he would go off and do something. <laughs> yeah. In baseball, you can't do that. And uh, so, so again, that, that interaction back and forth and how you, you uh, interact, you know, how coaches interact with players, mm-hmm. uh, how you approach strategy with each game. Um, those differences made for, for a lot of fun. And so as a student of the game, while I was coaching it, uh, that, was, that was a fun part. Mm. And what about um, 
like the repercussions of like football. Is that something you guys ever thought about? Like the CTE and, and concussions and I mean, the issues, the injuries from, on these kids. Yeah, I mean, it's it's horrible what what goes on with all of that. But um, you know, with with all those concussions, and who was the most recent one now? That uh, there was a uh, NFL player just last week, maybe. What what happened? What did he do? Well, he's just suffering really badly from uh, 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 maybe it's uh, Steve McMichael. I don't I don't know from the Bears. Uh, I don't know. Well, anyhow, there's. Um, uh, I remember when when I w- when I was coaching football, we you know were were always working with the kids on wearing the proper equipment, wearing your equipment the right way, making sure that that uh, helmets fit uh, properly. So we were all very good about it. And to be honest with you, while I was coaching it, this was ninety one to about ninety eight, maybe uh, there wasn't a lot of attention being given to the medical right. repercussions of, of course. it. Um, and then my, uh, my younger son was the one who played tackle football for a few years uh, out where I live. And he, um, uh, by then, they were already starting to talk about, you know, all, all these uh, uh, concussions and all, all the medical problems that were, that were stemming from it. So, so there they were much more uh, uh, cognizant of, you know, helmets fitting properly, making sure you have all that stuff. But because Argo didn't have, I don't think it's... I don't think it does now either, but uh, Argo did not have any kind of feeder program for a, for its football team. Didn't seem like there were a lot of kids at that time that were coming to Argo who had played Park District football in any way. So literally, you know, the coaches and I were teaching kids how to put in your hip pads, your tailbone pad, how this girdle is supposed to go on. I mean, we had to help dress kids at the, at the start of a season just so they knew what to do. Mm-hmm. So that was, you know, really taking it from from – ground level Mm -hmm. and try to teach this to the kids. I wonder where it's going to end up going with the new medical knowledge of 2021, the new information we know. I, I, I don't see it lasting forever, honestly, especially at that age, because we realize the repercussions of it's not worth it. These kids are not going to be in the NFL. They're not going to be making that type of money to counteract the repercussions. And even that I would argue is not worth it. $10 million a year is not worth you losing your mind at 30. Right, <laughs> right. You know, you know, I would agree with you, but I can foresee all kinds of backlash if people said that they were going to no longer have mm-hmm. these, the, you know, that sport or, or uh, put certain limitations. I mean, with all the, the, the nonsense reaction with face masks, mm-hmm. you know, I could just see a lot of people really getting nuts if you no longer had high school football programs. Well, I could see the schools not taking them away, but p- less parents having them, their kids in it. Mm. So, like, the turnout becomes less and less to the point where their school has to think about it. I mean, like, yeah. oh, you know, we need 30 kids and only 18, you know, signed up. Right. Something like that. Yeah, I mean, you probably never get that with baseball. Not with basketball. With basketball, you more have to worry about blowing out your knees and ankles. Mm. That's, that's definitely a thing. Like, that's what I played at Argo, and that's what I did with basketball. Okay. But, um, yeah, with football, that's a hard one. That's a really hard one. Not so good, especially the helmets. You just feel like you can hit harder. You know, you're more protected. Right. You're making it worse. And I can't tell you how many times we, when we were coaching the kids and you were, we were coaching how to, how to make a tackle properly, the kids would always dip their head. Mm-hmm. And it's like, dude, keep your head up. And it was, it was really tough trying to drill that into them to remember It's natural. That. You're just, you can get... 
more angle and momentum with dipping down, you can kind of get a little bit better of an angle and tackle harder. And you have that, you know. Yeah, you figure this is protected. Yeah, it's good. Yeah, I'm glad I never played those sports. I mean, I did a lot of backyard football. Definitely got hurt doing that, but nothing with fo- And playing backyard football with no pads, we would tackle each other with our heads up. You don't want to – you're not using right, your head. So right, right, We would get banged up, but all that got banged up was our arms, okay. shoulder, hip, bruises. But that's fine. You can survive that just fine. Right. It's the, it's the head stuff you don't want, the neck stuff. And we played all the time, all the time. Big teams, mud, always hitting each other. But the fact there isn't pads, you don't get as hurt, you know? Now, do you notice any aches and pains that are maybe residual from, from those days? Um, from basketball, yeah. yeah. I, I've, I've uh, you know, sent my, my knees sideways and my ankles sideways many times. Oh, wow. A lot of torn muscles and or ACL and uh, a lot of issues with that. But I did it a lot. And I played basketball organized basketball maybe five years mm-hmm. and i played you know basketball on you know in driveways and on the street for my whole life probably 17 18 years from mm-hmm. like a little kid to early 20s okay and uh i stopped because i just kept rolling ankles and getting hurt and the last time i played last summer my knee went sideways and oh, I, I couldn't do anything for a couple weeks and it really hurt it scared last me last summer yeah june oh 1st God. and it was bad who were you playing with some friends in, right over here in the in the driveway. Okay, all right. <laughs> yeah, and I'm like, what am I doing this for? I'm not getting paid. I'm not making a mark. I have nothing to prove. I have right. other another life to live. I don't need to be doing this. Yeah, yeah. So that's the only thing. But more long term effects from like the extreme sports, mm. the 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 longboarding, the wakeboarding, the skiing, you know, water skiing, climbing stuff. That I got hurt a lot more doing those things. Mm. Yeah, just more impact, higher speeds, more errors to be made. Right. Yeah. Again, once I realized, like, what am I doing? I'm not making money to do this. Nothing to prove. I'm not winning medals. I don't need to be doing this anymore. Yeah. It was fun, and I got a different life to live. Pretty soon you'll be an old man golfing. I know. I mean, I like, <laughs> I like golf, and it's probably why it's not that bad on the body. It's also just kind of fun yeah. to be out in nature. It's kind of goofy. I don't know. That's one sport I played. If, 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 I, you forget, or at least in our discussion, I was thinking, you know, regular team sports and stuff, but I've golfed. Uh, I've been on bowling leagues a couple oh, of years. Nice. So so those are a couple sports. You need to I've go done. golfing sometime. Oh, I, you know what? I don't think I can golf no. anymore. I have back and hip and stuff, mm. to be honest with you. I would love to go bowling again, but even. That's harder. It, it's, that's not going to. I can't do that. Yeah. I can't. I'll have to use that thing, you know, to <laughs> yeah. line it up and yeah. just kind of drop it and. Yeah. You could put the bumpers up for me. That's how, <laughs> that's how I'll be bowling now. I'm not a very good bowler. I'm like a straight shooter. You know, my friends are like, you know, you got some decent technique. If you learn how to curve it, you'd be better. I'm like, I just don't do it enough. I, I bowl like once every six months. Yeah. I, I It's fun. I enjoy the camaraderie. It's very inexpensive sport. I, for some reason, have my own bowling ball and bowling shoes. Um, my I have my mom's old bowling ball, I think, from like the 70s. I nice. still use it. And then I have bowling shoes I, I stole from Elmar Bowl, which is closed down when I was 16. Is it closed down now? I believe it closed. I think they sold it, and I think it's closed. Oh, wow. I think. That's what I heard. Okay. Uh, I, I don't bowl enough. But yeah. um, golf is fun because it's very strategic, very challenging, very technical. So much precision and so much um, just probably the most skillful sport. I mean, you have to get everything right. It's, it's so tedious. Right. And you're battling elements. Yeah. So throughout all of that, yeah. Yeah. And it's just nice. To, it's more quiet. You're on your own. It's kind of like in your head, you know. Yep. That that golf and like 
chess two things i enjoy doing yeah. with you <laughs> we yeah. gotta start we, playing chess yeah again. we gotta start playing chess again <laughs> because i haven't lost enough to you over the over the years you know I, it's only a couple of times uh, <laughs> that's so funny <laughs> yeah yeah actually we gotta we gotta uh when we're able to get into um strange brew again mm -hmm. we could bring the uh bring the chess board start playing some chess yeah again. do some chess again I love chess. I, I want to play it more, and enough people I know play, but no one ever really brings it up. And I know it got, you know, a renaissance again from that show, Queen's Gambit. Right. You know, made it made it cool to play chess when you and I, the nerds, were suffering. Yep. <laughs> yep. That always happens. A, a, you know, music or a movie or a TV show makes something cool that normally was just kind of looked over, you know, neglected. Right. Yeah. And now all of a sudden it's uh, it's popular. It's popular. Isn't that funny how that works? Weird. <laughs> Weird. So you've been, um, being an English teacher, do you, does this come from a passion of, you know, writing, reading, the language? Where where where'd that come from? Because, you know, you do art, play music, you dabbled in, you know, sports and activities. Where did English teaching come from? Um, <clears throat> English literature. Well, I, I, Remember always being a reader uh, in in grade school and throughout high school. You know, I was I was good at reading and I enjoyed reading, um, but I never really thought about teaching English. Uh, I knew that I could probably you know get a, a degree in something for for teaching, mm -hmm. uh, but as uh, English specifically wasn't necessarily part of it. So when I started college, I was pre or I, I uh, intended to be. Uh, go into psycho psychology, psychotherapy. Uh, I wanted to be you know be more like therapy and counseling, and eventually get into something like that. But to get to the level that I intended would have required a lot more school, more than I was willing to put in the time at that point in my life. I just kind of wanted to start a career. I didn't want to just be in school constantly. Mm -hmm. So uh, so then I made a change maybe like the the start of my or middle of my sophomore year and uh I switched from psychology to English and so I figured I I enjoy reading so I'll just read some good stuff I'll just have to write a little bit more than normal and uh, uh and then you know in the process I'll get I'll minor in education and then I'll be able to teach English so so the whole thing kind of started in college mm -hmm. uh as a as a changed major um and just as I went through St. Xavier's English program, I just had some phenomenal teachers and uh, the, the classes were gripping to me. You know, just uh, there was a Shakespeare class that was really good, um, an 18th century lit class that I took that was, that was killer, um, had a phenomenal world literature teacher. Uh, her name was uh, Dr. Pilar Rotella. She was from uh, Catalonia, Spain. And little woman, just real little woman, but powerful voice. And oh my God, did she make us read a shit ton of stuff in one semester? <laughs> you know, it's like for, for next week, I want you to read uh, Dante's Inferno. For the following week, I want you to read uh, uh, these two novels, uh, you know, for the week after that. And it was just nuts. Um, and she was one of those teachers that you hear about from, from your peers. It's like, oh my God, when you get into that class, all you're going to be doing is taking notes throughout the whole class because, you know, she's just talking and talking. Mm -hmm. And sure enough, I mean, that was just an amazing class. And mm -hmm. so she was inspiring to me as far as, okay, you know what? There's a passion there. I kind of, 
like some of the lit that I'm teaching and or that I'm that I'm reading, and so I think I'd like to I'd like to do that. Mm. So that's kind of the, how the whole interest in English started. You just started in college, huh? Yeah, a little bit of high school with reading, but then to to actually teach it was in college. And um, did you get a job at at Argo right out of college? No, I. Uh, when I first graduated, uh, I, I taught for once because I was off that one semester, mm-hmm. right? So I graduated, or my the, my the end of my senior year at Saint Xavier was at Christmas time, so now I had a whole semester, uh, and so I applied to a whole ton of schools, and I got hired at Proviso West in Hillside, uh, and I was covering for I think a woman who was on maternity leave, maybe, and so that was my first full-time job teaching was just kind of covering for this other woman. So I taught five classes. It was it was everything. But it was just a one-semester deal. They said, you know, you're not going to be back because the person's going to be coming back. Um, and then I got a job at Revis. And so I taught at Revis for two years. Uh, did not particularly like it there. Uh, so then I... Uh, but I was also in the midst of getting a master's in English while I was at Revis. So then uh, when I left Revis for one year, I uh, uh, subbed in the, in the CPS system. Um, and then I think it was in 93. Mm-hmm. 93, fall of 93 is when I started at Argo. Okay. So Argo was the third school that I had taught at. Okay. Uh, but it's, it's obviously been the longest. Yeah, 27? Uh, yeah, since 93. So I don't do math. Uh, you're probably right. Twenty. You're born in '66. No, no, no. Uh, <laughs> if I if I was if I started teaching there in '93, and it's 21. How many years have I been? 28 years. 28. Okay. 28 years at Argo. Yeah. <laughs> wow. How's that feel? Oh my! Like I'm 31. Almost my whole life you've been there. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's gone through so many changes. It has since I went there to when I've gone back now. You had the field house, right? Or was that yeah? After? That was built in like oh three oh four. Okay, yeah. So that I was... started in oh four. It was fresh when I got nice. there. Nice, but uh, the way it is now, it's amazing what they've done with it. Yeah, with the Portillo Center, yeah, and... which is crazy to think about. And it's fun to you know be a part of that now and, and do things there. It's cool. Yeah, it's fun, interesting. Now, when you did the uh, DZ Winterfest. Two winters ago, um, you were one of the first ones to have like to be able to put on a performance and stuff in that new mm-hmm. building. Uh, what kind of acoustic challenges were there for for the like the acts? Because you had to oversee mm-hmm. like all of that stuff. So, yeah. w- what was what was wacky or or challenging? Nothing really. I mean, I was I'm fortunate enough to know really good live sound engineers that came in like okay. part of my team, and we just. It honestly was acoustically very nice and sound. It, it was not bad at all. And then having like the smaller stage in the lobby area was great. Yeah. And that sounded good within like those that little space kind of hidden away there. Yeah, nothing really. It sounded pretty pretty loud and like big, different from what I'm used to. I'm used to basement shows and right. small bars and dive bars and stuff. Yeah. It sounded really great and the monitor mix sounded good. Um, I'm also very um, tolerant to... You know, not the best playing conditions. Not saying that was, but I know I've performed and been around it so much that I all I really need is the drummer. I don't need to hear vocals or anything. Hmm. Um, you should never have to be a musician that relies on those cues. Otherwise, you'll 
find yourself upset all the time because not every venue can accommodate to accommodate you to hear everything well. So you should learn how to play with just your drummer or bass player, not have to worry about what the other guitar player, synth, piano, drums, or um, saxophone or vocals are doing. Yeah. You should be able to play without them. But I didn't have that, that situation. It was, it's actually really well built. I, I would say pretty state-of-the-art, to be honest. Nice. It's nice. I mean, you've been there a bunch now, right? Yeah, yeah. I, but, uh, you know, I haven't... I don't study sound and yeah. really know, like, what to listen they, for. They did a great job that, so. with it. Just the way it sounds naturally when you walk around it and clap and the acoustic paneling everywhere. It's, right, right. It's a nice building. It's amazing. Yeah. I'm very grateful the students get to have that now. Yeah. Especially in the music program and yeah the theater program mm -hmm. all of all of those get to reap the benefits of that and it's that was very generous of them to do that yeah We're, what about the old theater what do they what do they do with that right now it's just uh it's probably been a good year since i've walked in there i think they right now just have it as an open area a common area okay if students needed to you know if the if they weren't meeting in a class but they had to go somewhere they could they could be there mm -hmm. um but I don't know, to be honest with you, what the plan is for that. I know they want to convert it into something, and it's mm -hmm. certainly a, a, a wide open space. But mm -hmm. whether they're going to add a floor to it and it's going to be, you know, classroom space on two floors or mm -hmm. if it's going to stay open like that, I'm not sure. Mm -hmm. One of the weirdest experiences there besides the Winterfest was the, the Bernie Sanders rally I went to there. Yeah, I was not there for that, but I— That was uh, wild. Yeah. I was like, this is where I used to play basketball and have gym class, and, this, and now I'm like— Right next to Bernie Sanders at this rally, and Vampire Weekend performed. It was That's very right, strange. Yeah. The um, the uh, Secret Service just seeing them in action was pretty wild. They were on top of stuff. I've never seen like four people react so fast. Like as he was, as Bernie Sanders was like coming close to you, when everyone trying to shake his hand and like get autographs and yeah. whatnot, they would like walk up to you. Like uh, there'd be like a gate, like a like a fence, and they'd like this is in the field house. They'd like grab you frisk you grab any sharp or any objects off you which you weren't even allowed to bring in yeah. so anything you had on you and then like after he grabbed you like they put everything back and it was like so fast you didn't even have time to react and you know each one of them had you know guns on their ankles guns here probably more somewhere else right, right, right. earpiece they all had nice suits on but like gym shoes so they could move they well could move, yeah and it was just so interesting to see they were so quick and they were everywhere wow just like four guys surrounding him and then like 20 people just everywhere and yeah. this is like uh, a Democratic candidate. It's not even, you know, a president or anything. Right. So I can't imagine what it's like for the actual president. But it was very surreal to go to Argo for that and waited for like, oh, my God, five hours down 63rd Street. Right. Where were you in that line? Uh, I remember people talking about how, you know, well, I, may, I was only up to the church. And then some people were, I was all the way down to, we were past, to Nikki's. We were past Nikki's. Okay. But I found a little loophole. Like once we got in, we were like in the middle of the crowd. But then I realized... Not many people were in the back behind him. So to get close, we weren't that close, but to get close, we just went around the back. And before I knew it, I was 20 feet from him and oh, wow. watching the whole thing. And could have got up on the back behind the um, the stands, like be behind him. Yeah. But I didn't want to be that person on TV behind him. Right, right. <laughs> you know, just kind of Somebody is going to notice you and talk about you. Yeah, and, I didn't yeah, want to do yeah. that. So I was like, I'll just be off to the side. But it was pretty cool. That was really interesting. I was glad that happened. That was five years ago already. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And you remember uh, Donald Trump was supposed to be having his own rally at UIC that same night. I do re remember yeah. that, and, yeah. And he, uh, th with the demonstration going on, they hightailed it yeah. and left. 
Wow, what a nightmare that was, huh? Wow. I mean, you know, every president's a nightmare, but it was an extra scary nightmare. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I'm indifferent about most high-end politics, to be honest. Uh, it just becomes a game of money and, you know, whose buddy are you kissing? But, yep. But, uh, no, Trump was rough. That was an interesting situation. I don't know. <laughs> I'm glad we're past it. I'm glad we're past it. I don't even, like, feel like talking about it. Nah. I'm like, ah, oh, that's all we talked about forever. Well, it's all everyone complained about. Yeah. I'm glad we're past it. I'm glad. I don't know where we are between the pandemic and the internet and, Twitter and all the chaos. I, I try to stay away from it and be grounded in this reality. Right. The more you go around this world and you talk to people, the more you realize we're kind of all on the same page. We don't care about those things. It's a small percentage of people who really do. Right. They're just really loud because they're amplified by something we call the internet. Yeah. But it's probably different for someone like you, like being um being older. I mean, do you do you pay attention to a lot of these things, or are you just you know occupied with your career, family, kids, your hobbies? You just kind of. I guess I I um, could stand to stop and consider the internet more than I do, mm-hmm. uh, and its implications and and all of that stuff. Uh, I guess I'm just a right now just a admittedly a blind consumer of it rather than you know somebody who would study it and and. Uh, uh, try to determine, you know, its influence, the extent of its influence. Um, it's obviously a useful tool. Uh, and it's good for entertainment. Uh, but man, has it, you know, taken its toll, I think, just on people's ability to concentrate. Mm-hmm. You know, and even a thing like this where, you know, we're just having a nice conversation over here, but I keep hearing this thing buzzing because somebody's either texting me or some kind of turn the thing buzz is off. going off. Yeah, I have it on silent. But I just, yeah, I don't just. Sit I, there I turn off the buzz in silent forever, and I receive no information. I miss every phone call. I don't remember. The, I don't remember the last time I answered a phone call. Yeah. Except for when it was deliberate, like call me at nine thirty. Sure. But other than that, I miss everything, <laughs> and I'm fine. I don't care. I'm happy to. I'm, yeah. It's a lot of information coming in, a lot of notifications, and I just don't need them. I I have them all turned off on my app, so yeah. I don't know. You know, only when um, bands message me, like, I need to get that notification. But it's been nice. Yeah, you know, I suppose the the, the internet, if, if anything, it, it gives us a sense of uh, urgency and immediacy with whatever we see, whatever we read, whatever we're doing with our phone, right? Uh, if Assuming that, that, you know, we're just looking at something online. Uh, you know, comments have to be made right away on something. People experience whatever and have to either take a take a photo of it and upload it or or you know comment on something about it and it, it seems like collectively we're just losing that ability to reflect you know just pause and reflect and listen to the silences in between comments or mm-hmm. between things um that that's that's one thing that i have to remind myself to do because like everybody else, I'm as much caught up in, you know, social media as the next person or just internet things. Uh, and so that, that distraction aspect, and that's one of the things I've tried to work on, especially this last pandemic year. You know, I just uh, tried to get a, a little bit closer to, or a little bit more aware of, um, 
time spent away from the from from computer, away from social media, uh, trying to be a bit more reflective. Uh, it's an attempt. Yeah. So that's you know there there have been a few good things I suppose to come out of this pandemic year. What else? Any anything else you tried new or with the time extra time? Anything else you wanted to get done? Um, well, a lot of a lot of the the stuff was kind of funneled into creativity, right? So just produced a lot of art I over, the last, that. over the last over last year every day. <laughs> yeah, yeah, a lot of artwork. I'm I'm, I'm uh, it's it's some of it is is older stuff, mm-hmm. you know, stuff from the last couple of years. Uh, but I, I try to do a little bit of something each day. Um, you know, I've tried to read a little bit more. Uh, so the you know there have uh, time spent with the family has been nice. Um, after a while, everybody gets on, you know, everybody's nerves. Only so much you want to spend There's only so much you want to spend with these people. You know, you love them, but you're also potentially going to strangle every single one of them if you have to see them again. So, uh, so, I mean, there, there have been, I would hope, some good things to come from, from the pandemic. Now, I mean, would you count this as something that developed as a result of the pandemic? Uh, yes and no, because I had the plan before it. Okay. I, I wanted this room to be the podcast room in like November of 2019. That's what the plan was. I just was just, you know, waiting for, you know, building it up and trying to figure out how to do it. And then the pandemic happened. I was going to do it like right before that. Okay. Then that happened. And I was just like, oh no, like I don't have like the money to fix this up and turn it into it. And I kind of waited and it's like, no one's going to come in. It's a pandemic. So I had to wait until it kind of slowed down in like December and people were, being vaccinated and it started to be a little bit easier to navigate. Right. So not so much that. The pandemic for me was mostly just like internal, personal mm-hmm. growth, like so much free time, more free time than I've ever had in my life. And I was like, I got to do something with this free time. Yeah. I have to work on myself and in order to get through this, you know, health-wise, mentally, emotionally, just got to try something new, go for more walks. I learned a lot from other people who, you know, you see someone older, that's healthier, and I wonder, like, wh- what are they doing? How do they? How are they still like that at that age? You know, right. I learn from that. Yeah, try to try to make sure I could um, learn from anybody. M- you know, good decisions, bad decisions. Just try to uh, not get to the place where I'm making the mistakes, and I can right. just kind of take away from what they did. And that was like eating better, sleeping better, exercise, being productive, talking to people more, being more right. honest. Honesty has been a big thing. I've yeah. learned more transparent. Not that I wasn't, but. Sometimes you just catch yourself lying to yourself, mm-hmm. you know, even just being more honest with yourself. Like, you yeah. know what? No, don't do that. Or like the little things when you just kind of become a little hyperbolic or a little sarcastic with your statements or your thoughts. It's like, oh, I mean, you should be more honest and straightforward. Yeah. And after a while of doing that, you start to see the repercussions like in a good way. You start to see things turning out better, people appreciating it more, mm-hmm. you know, friendships getting stronger. Right. Instead of running away from something, just facing it. And then when you have to face it again later on, it becomes easier because now you know what it feels like. That right. anxiety is not so powerful. Right. Staying off the internet more, like allowing an X amount of time on Instagram. Facebook is pretty much non-existent. And then that's it. I don't have yeah. anything else. Got rid of all streaming services. So I don't really watch much anymore. Hmm. When I do watch something, I want it to be intentional. So if I want to watch a movie, I'm going to pay the $3 to rent it instead right. of sitting around all day just streaming stuff justifying it because I paid $14 a month right. for it. Right. Not that there's anything wrong with that. I just did it so much. I realized what's the point? I don't need to be doing this. And I could 
to keep my sanity and feel better to stay outside more. And everyone feels better when you're outside and you get more sunlight. Yeah. Like over time, you just, if you do that every day, even throughout the winter, it feels a lot nicer. Like this winter was not bad for me at all. Good. Um, it felt like summer. I felt no difference in it at all just by forcing myself to like walk through snow and blizzards yeah. and just kind of face the elements, see the beauty in it, appreciate that that is what leads to this weather. That is what leads to this type of nature and growth and that cycle is part of what we are and shouldn't resent it just because you have to go through it. If you do that much, if you truly hate it, you should probably move to a warmer climate. <laughs> you know? Right. You know? You've lived around here your whole life. Yeah. Been here. Uh, I grew up in Chicago and uh, went to St. Lawrence High School and have always worked around here. So I'm, I'm part of the southwest side. Mm-hmm. Uh, and like I was telling you earlier, when I retire, the plan is to move out to Portland, Oregon. What a my great wife, change. Yeah. My wife's uh, family lives out there now. And uh, I don't really have any family over here to kind of stay close with or anything. Were you an only child or? Uh, yeah, I was an only oh, child okay. and parents are gone and, you know, every, that's it. I don't have any ties over here really. Yeah. Uh, family ties. So, uh, so we're going to go out to Portland and that's that. That's amazing. Love and the is Pacific she retiring Northland. there too? Uh, she works for a company where they're letting her work remotely right now. And uh, and she'll be able to do that out out Portland as well. So she'll still work. Uh, probably a couple more years. Or something. Probably a few more years, yeah. right? And uh, I know she would love to retire when I retire, but I think she's still going to have to do a little bit of something. And uh, and then I'll just be doing whatever. Yeah, living the life. <laughs> Relaxing, that's about it. <laughs> that's amazing. I mean, like I said, you'll probably make a lot of art. I'm hoping. That's, that, that's a, it's a nice diversion. Uh, but at least, you know, out in Portland, you have pretty decent music scene out there. So mm-hmm. I'm looking forward to hearing, you know, some, some stuff out there. Mm-hmm. Um, I love mountains. There yeah. aren't enough mountains in the, in Illinois. There are no <laughs> mountains. What <laughs> one would say. So I, it, it would be nice to see mountaintops. And, uh, a better marijuana infrastructure. <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> they have that as well. Yeah, we're getting there. Not quite not quite figuring out yet in this state for whatever reason. It's probably something political. It always is. Well, I think when the pandemic hit uh, at the start of 2020, wasn't it in May of 2020 where they were supposed to open up uh, dispensary things? I mean, they, they were going to open up licensure for, for uh, dispensaries to anyone, not just places that had previously been um, – Selling medical, I don't know. See, because I, th- I think the the places at the start of 2020, the, the when we first went legal, I think the first dispensaries were the ones that had only been dealing with uh, medical marijuana, mm. and now they were, you know, mm-hmm. they were allowed to be recreational. But it was only them, yeah. and I think in May of 2020 they were supposed to allow, uh, you know, anybody else who wants to sell recreationally. But of course, that never happened because of. COVID. Yeah. So that that really hit it at uh, at right. a bad time for that yeah, industry. Help. Yeah. yeah. It was a new thing. So in, in its infancy, it's kind of hard when you get hit with a pandemic to grow yeah. and learn and pick get You know, for the government to get the right numbers in to understand where they are doing things right, wrong, right. pricing. It's tricky. It's tricky because like it's supposed to be a good thing and, you know, get rid of people going to jail or prison for unnecessary things and for people having to not go to the black market anymore. But most people I know still just buy on the streets because it's so expensive to buy from medical marijuana facilities. 
maybe not for a lot of people who have good careers, but most people I know, like, it's more than double the price and half the quantity. So you're like, what are we doing here? Right. So, right. Yeah. Interesting. It just blows my mind because alcohol is just so easy. It's just so straightforward. Yeah. And it's a lot harsher on the body. A lot. A lot harsher. Yeah. yeah I, I try to drink sparingly for okay. reasons, you know, not as much right. as I used to. Again, another thing I'm learning from the older folks in my life who have told me stories and they're just like, it's fun, but you got to know. You yeah. got to know yourself and know the, the outcome is not the best. Yeah. Yeah. I think I quit drinking four years ago, mm. four or five years ago. And I mean, that, it's like I, I've still had a uh, shot of tequila now and then because it just like when my son turned 21, you know, we, sh- we shared one. And uh, so I still have little tequila every now and then, but uh, sparingly. I don't. Mm-hmm. I had my fun. I'm, yeah. So it's like, <laughs> that's good. Yeah. Have, that's the thing. It's like I never really went that hard in it. So I, I hope to enjoy it here and there like for the rest of my life. Yeah. You know, not, it was never really a big part of it. It never really had a burden on my health or life. Right. Yeah. Yeah. But um, I enjoy more like trying like psychedelics once in a while. I think that's that's the drug of choice for me. Yeah. Like, and it's something you don't do all the time, which is nice because it's too much. Right. Like drinking, you could do drink every day. Right. Weed, you could smoke every day. Cigarettes, you can have every day. But like mushrooms, it's like, mm, yeah. I need to take a break yeah. from you that. Need to take a, <laughs> right. Right. We'll talk about, you know, effects on reality yeah. and how. Yeah. yeah. That's what I like about it. It's um, puts you to places you normally would can't go, hmm. you know. So it's just interesting. Open up some windows. Makes you look at people differently. Maybe more a little empathetic. Yeah. Interesting. You doing anything crazy in college or in life with that? Uh, I I uh, experimented with uh, LSD mm. and weed, and that's about it. Mm. Yeah. I kept it pretty simple. Uh, I was – in college, I was uh, really into like the, the beat lit scene um, – uh, Ken Kesey and the Merry Pranksters, uh, you know, like the, I read the electroculate acid test. And so that type of stuff was kind of fascinating to me. Mm-hmm. And so uh, once I got to college, uh, I experimented with some acid, uh, doing some artwork uh, under the influence. And so that was, it, it was one of those things that probably, you know, has a certain influence in, yeah. in you know, technique or style or whatever. But that, it's, it's there. It's yeah. all there. Yeah. All these different experiences that we have are somehow in what we produce. Yeah, I I agree. I, I didn't really try them until later, but anything I got that might have been more psychedelic was probably from other artists before me that did it, and I learned from them, yeah. and influences by them. Yeah. So what's new, Tim? <laughs> I think I'm running out of stuff to say, you man. You think so? I think so. <laughs> I mean, we can end whatever you'd like. There's there's no rules to this. There's no producer looking over us. There's no commercial right. breaks. There's no sponsors. Yeah, we're not beholden to anything. So if you, if we can end whatever you'd like. Uh, um, let's go ahead and call it. Okay. All right. Sounds good. Well, I appreciate you being here. Thank and you so much for this opportunity. It's always great to talk to you, and I can't wait to start playing chess again. Sounds good. I can't wait to have you at DZ Fest, you know, presenting and selling your artwork. You're a magnificent artwork. Would you like to plug where people can find your artwork on I saw that, Facebook, yeah. Instagram? Yeah. 
Oh, do I want? Oh, yeah. I'm sorry. I, I, uh, there was somebody whose interview you did uh, once upon a time, and I saw the, some of my stuff mm-hmm. in the back, so I thought that was a plug. No, I so, uh if you want to see more of this, you can go on Instagram to see uh, and go uh, at bulb2021. Mm-hmm. Bulb like light bulb, mm-hmm. 2021. And so that's where I've kind of challenged myself to each day post uh, a new piece of art. So whether it's something I'm doing this year or something from the past, every every piece is going to be different. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I'm just trying to centralize all of my artwork on one page uh, and then from there kind of take stock of, uh, okay, over the course of a year, did I produce a series that I want to develop a little bit more? Mm-hmm. Uh, is there a certain style I, I did a few pieces with and now I want to explore that a little bit more? So I'm just trying to make a clearinghouse of, of my art. So then from there, starting next year, I can kind of figure out what I want to do mm-hmm. with it, uh, delete the whole thing. I'm, mm-hmm. I, I don't know. I don't know yet what I want to do. That's a neat idea though. That's hard. That's- oh my God. The, I, I started the whole thing by thinking, um, I'm going to produce a new work each day. <laughs> so, okay. I started a new year's day hit and I had about seven new pieces that I had done over Christmas break. Just little things. And so I figure, okay, that gives me a little leeway. It gives, it gives me some breathing room. So then as I was making more pieces and I was posting these, pretty soon I'm about a week ahead of myself. Week ahead, of, I get through February. I'm like a few days ahead of myself. By the time I hit March, it was like, holy shit, man. I, I can't sustain this for mm-hmm. a whole year. I, so that's when I started. So I have, I have another main Insta account uh, that I've always had my art on. So gradually I'm kind of migrating all of the art stuff that I'm doing onto the bulb site. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then I'm, I'm just, once I have that all done, I think I'm going to wipe out that main account and just start fresh with stuff. Cause I'm just tired of looking at what I have on there. So. Hmm. That's cool though. That's a nice concept. I mean, it's, I appreciate the challenge. I wouldn't be able to do that. No way. But man, you have a high output. You've done, a, is your house just covered in artwork? Now it is. Yeah. <laughs> from the last couple of years. It's amazing though. Yeah. We've started to hang up quite a bit of the stuff just to put it somewhere. Cause yeah. you know. You should you should try to to sell it to try to go to different I don't know get tents at different you know events I don't know different music festivals besides uh, yeah you know, Fest yeah I've been thinking more and more about it in fact my wife was telling me that she's encouraging me to do that I think she just wants to get rid of some of this shit you know there's too much of it around the house uh, but uh, you know I I like that idea I just haven't gotten around to researching you know what's out there um, are there limits because I mean I feel like when I look at my own artwork and my own output I feel like my stuff ranges in style ranges in medium Um, and that isn't from lack of discipline as an artist although I suppose somebody could say well you don't do this professionally so you haven't quite mastered whatever it is you you need to do Mm -hmm. but I see so many artists out there who, and I'm not saying there's anything wrong necessarily with this. It just isn't something that I value in art. Artists who do like just variations on the exact same thing mm-hmm. all over again. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe it's a green background that has an image that's in black and the image is very abstract. And in one painting, it looks more circular, but the next painting, it looks more rectangular, but it's all like basically the same thing. And I see a lot of artists out there producing work like that. 
and I don't know, I, in, in my mind, I just think to myself, you know, there's, there's so many cool things that you could do with these mediums. You could, you could play with acrylic versus art. You could do some really nifty things if you combine uh, uh, pastel with charcoal. Uh, my God, the stuff you could do with ink, with it, whether it's wet or dry. Uh, there's all kinds of cool things with this. So why wouldn't you just kind of experiment and see what kind of things you could do? Because your moods aren't always the same. Your yeah. process isn't always the same. Um, so I kind of like producing what, what I produce to the – to the degree that I am taking a snapshot of something about myself at this point in my life, some thought, uh, some emotion, mm-hmm. uh, whatever, uh, and it just and I, I kind of value that in artists rather than artists who only work in one medium and only do these variations on the same thing. Yeah, that's that's the type of person you are, like like you, Tim, like you. You like a lot of different things. Some some people want to stick to something that's more familiar, hone in right. on that, become an expert at that. But I appreciate someone that gets the expression from many different mediums. And, and you you definitely have gotten great at all of them, I think so. Thank you. Um, do you find yourself uh, with changing with age, becoming, you know, growing older in life, do you find where it comes from, that creativity, does it change? What, is it different from when you were 20, 30, 40, 50? You know, I, I mean, it has for me from when I would write songs at 20 versus now or play music at that age to now. It's It feels so different, you know. But at, at, its, at its core level, it's coming from this place of longing to, to get something out of you, you know, feeling the need to just express yourself in the moment. But I wonder, like, does it change when you have kids? Does it change when you have marriage? Does it change when you get older and you see more, you know, destruction and things in life, when you have a better appreciation for human life because you see as you get older people die and you start to realize how how fleeting it all is? Yeah. Everything you just said, yeah. I mean, that's exactly it. Um, You know, there are are things, uh, you know, as you're you're producing art, I think when you're younger – um, I know for myself, I at first valued technique. Mm. Uh, so, you know, I'm, I'm taking art classes where they're showing you how uh, a Leonardo da Vinci hand is, is made. Note the shading of the hand. So now you want to reproduce that. And so, you know, education early on, art education was learning some of the different techniques, uh, being able to shade spheres in different ways or cones and all this stuff, right, to, to be able to produce a fact. Um, and so early on, I think I, I valued myself as, as, as somebody who was producing art. Uh, I valued, you know, perfection and technique. And it was only through not, uh, you know, being away from art for as many years as I was, uh, you know, teaching, starting a family, living life, all the way up to about five or six years ago. Um, you know, now you return to art, and so now you have to kind of reteach yourself some of the things that you remembered being able to do quite well way back when you were in your 20s. Uh, and in the process of reteaching yourself this skill, you're actually kind of developing a slightly different style with how you do it because now you're, you're just – your movements are different. Your grip is different, uh, you know, for if you're using – you see, I, I don't do a lot of, I don't do any digital art 
Mm-hmm. And I know some people are really good at that, but I just I've never mastered that stuff with computers. So I'm just purely organic, you know, paper, pen, paint, whatever. Um, so it was, you know, it's that uh, uh, that initial idea that you have to have perfection. And then when I approach this, I suppose my my approach is less about perfection. I mean, wh- what I enjoy about the process for me is getting lost in the details. You know, uh, depending on the artwork, you know, like in the in the center one, there's a lot of detail to her shirt, the shading. You know, there's there's kind of a an, a Robert Crumb fixation that I've always had. You know, with with the detaily aspect, Salvador Dali. Mm-hmm. You're very uh, detailed artist. I and and I and I, I what I like about that process is a certain there's like a certain numbing effect. You get so caught up in the the little lines and the time that elapses. And right, you you were talking earlier about you know you 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 lose a sense of time when doing certain tasks and stuff. And you kind of lose yourself in in that whole creative process. And so that for me is just kind of a fun offshoot of of creativity is is experiencing that um, momentary loss of time. Therapeutic, mindful. Very, very mindful and therapeutic, yeah. Being, it, it might be the only time in life where you kind of cease to exist while you still are there. Yeah, I suppose in sleep we are too. Uh, we just can't really appreciate it. Yeah. I mean, that's why it feels great because you kind of get your brain to that place where it is when it's yeah. in a REM sleep or yeah, something, you yeah. know. Yeah, I get that. Uh, it happens in, you probably experience this, experience this with music. But it really happens when it's an original song that you made up with, you know, your friends. And there's a moment where it all comes together. And, yeah. You know, the kick drum is hitting perfectly with the downbeat. And the bass is following it just right. And the melody of the guitars are coming Everybody's in. reading each other's cues. Everyone looks at each other. And yep. then everyone, like, people are closing their eyes. And you're just locked in. And it's, you feel like you're the only thing on the world, like, yeah. in, this, in this world. And the only thing that matters is that feeling, and I don't know, you kind of disappear. It happens with music. It happens when you listen to music, too. Yeah. It's a beautiful thing. And it happens when you go look at a piece of artwork, and I'm sure it happens even more when you're making it. Yeah. Well, Tim, keep making art. You're really, really talented, and I've always admired it, and I think it's great that you still do it. A lot of people get older. They get cynical. They stop trying. Mm. I think it's great that you do it. I think you're fantastic. I hope. That you you know keep working on stuff and can sell pieces or you know stack them up around your house. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, stack them up around the house out in Oregon. Do you ever have any in your uh, classroom? Any artwork in your classroom? Uh, I had. Um, uh, Mark bought my uh, portrait, my ink portrait of uh, Edgar Allan Poe. Mm. I had that up in my classroom, and I posted a picture of it. I think last year, and uh, he asked me if it was for sale, and. <clears throat> Anything I, I make is for sale. I'm not going to hang on to anything, really. And what am I going to do with it, you know? So uh, uh, so I sold it to him. And that was really the only original art of mine that's in my classroom. Mm. But I have a uh, um, couple of pictures. I mean, I have a, a Dante, uh, Charles Dickens. Um, I think I have James Joyce, John Milton. So I have some stuff up in my classroom. Mm. Cool. 
I wish you were my English teacher. Wish you had been my student. It would be uh, <laughs> be interesting to see what what young Ben really was like, and be Wait, able to. You, there's be a able few the... faculty at Argo. You could probably ask that question yeah, too. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's funny. Well, thank you so much, man. Yeah. This was fun. This was great. It's been an, an honor to know you for years, and likewise, I appreciate your friendship and your abilities and. You've always just been a big advocate for everything I do, and I am one for you, too. So thank you. And, thank you. Uh, I'll be talking to you soon, Tim. All right. Bye. Bye, everyone. Thank you. <laughs>